So this is it, the way it's going to be. We go out with volatility. Could there be another way? Not with all these things at play. The Fed turned hawkish. Here we go. Rate hikes are coming. Growth's going to slow. Inflation's still cooking. Supply chain's still clogged. Omicron's spreading. Hospitals getting bogged. Down with new cases? Is this happening again? Are we going back to 2020 to when it began? Not this train. That's not how we ride. We take the bad with the good. We keep it in stride. We roll with the punches. We push and we press. We stay humble. We stay focused. On the Investopedia Express. Well, welcome back, but hold the rail. Global markets are opening the holiday shortened week on thin ice as new COVID cases are spreading quickly around the world, prompting event cancellations, travel restrictions, return to work delays, more hospitalizations, and the threat of another economic downturn. The Federal Reserve added fuel to the fire last week, signaling three rate hikes in 2022, beginning in March, to cool inflation. Quadruple witching last Friday, which is the simultaneous expiration of single stock options, single stock futures, and stock index options, also brought the wicked spirits to the party, sending investors scurrying to the safety of U.S. Treasuries. The yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasuries dropped below 1.4% to start the week, coming off a terrible week for U.S. markets. The Dow Industrial shed 1.7%, the S&P 500 fell 1.9%, and the Nasdaq fell 3%. Over the past four weeks, small cap stocks have entered correction territory. Remember, Big tech and small caps are especially sensitive to rising interest rates. We knew they were coming, and markets have been dancing around record highs for weeks, but sentiment has soured. Isn't Santa Claus supposed to turn this all around? We're about due for the age-old Santa Claus rally, aren't we? But according to technical market historians, if it happens this year at all, it won't happen until December 27th and then run through January 4th. But if the rally doesn't come down the proverbial chimney this year, the bears may start growling. Every year that the Santa Claus rally doesn't happen, the market is usually lower for several months afterwards. The bottom line is this. Stocks tend to do well in the second half of December and into the beginning of the year. When that doesn't happen, though, it's a pretty reliable signal that we could be in for a slide. Long-term investors can ride this out, but end-of-year buyers may want to keep an eye on Santa this year. As we roll into the end of the year, let's do a 50,000-foot flyover to remember just a few of the key dynamics that made 2021 so unforgettable. 2021 will go down in history as a year of extremes. We witnessed millions more people become sick or perish from the coronavirus, while some of the most developed nations recorded a broad-based economic recovery. That recovery has been uneven. If you owned assets, especially stocks or real estate over the last couple of years, your net worth is likely higher. But those that don't, and there are millions of them in low-income communities, have not felt the recovery at all. Still, the economic recovery has brought historic spikes in consumer prices and producer prices, vast labor shortages across industries, and a global supply chain clog that still persists today. The impacts of climate change arrived at our doorsteps in 2021 as wildfires, floods, hurricanes, and tornadoes devastated communities, local economies, and large swaths of land. An influx of new traders and investors entered the capital markets this year, and they have a particular appetite for cryptocurrency. The market cap of all cryptocurrencies topped $3 trillion for the first time in 2021 as Bitcoin and Ethereum soared to record highs, but experienced intense volatility. So-called meme coins, including Dogecoin and Shiba Inu, they became mainstream as they racked up astronomical gains spurred on by business elites like Elon Musk and Mark Cuban and in online trading forums like Wall Street Bets. 2021 was the year retail traders tilted the playing field against traditional Wall Street institutions. Day trading enthusiasts swarmed stocks targeted by institutional short sellers and hedge funds, driving stocks like AMC Entertainment and GameStop to extreme highs 
prompting short squeezes and hundreds of millions of dollars in losses for legacy institutions that led to more stock market scrutiny and calls for more online broker oversight. This year will also be remembered for the persistent strength of the capital markets despite economic uncertainty, the ongoing pandemic, and a sense of frothiness across many asset classes. The S&P 500 closed at record highs more than 67 times this year, although hundreds of stocks fell into bear markets along the way. Meanwhile, several of the biggest stocks got bigger as Tesla joined the trillion-dollar market cap club and Apple danced dangerously close to that $3 trillion market cap apex. All that said, it's not a surprise that the U.S. equity markets outperformed all developed global markets for the fourth year in a row. Many point to the ultra-accommodative monetary policies extended by the Federal Reserve, but those are going away soon, and the temperature of the economy and the stock market will both change. Finally, 2021 can be remembered as the year that the lines between the digital and physical worlds became more blurred than ever. The rise of decentralized networks and digital currencies, coupled with the mania over non-fungible tokens, those NFTs, represent an awakening across the world that our lives are becoming more digitized. Facebook became meta, Square became block, and billionaires launched their own rockets into space as their fortune soared. Authenticity, decentralization, scarcity, and more extremes are the hallmarks of this new era. 2022 should be very interesting. Let's get set up for the week ahead. It'll be a shortened trading week with U.S. and Canadian equity markets closed on Friday for Christmas Eve and European markets on a shortened trading schedule. But it won't be a quiet week given the spread of the new COVID variant and the new reality of rate hikes coming in a few months. The People's Bank of China lowered its one-year loan prime rate on Monday morning. You hear that? China's cutting rates just as the U.S. Central Bank plans to raise them. Very interesting. Growth has been slowing in China and the government has been continually loosening borrowing restrictions and borrowing rates to jumpstart the economy. Nike, Micron Technologies, and Rite Aid are among the most widely held stocks to report earnings this week. Nike is expected to report declines in sales after spikes in COVID cases led to factory closures in Vietnam and Indonesia. That's where they make most of their products. However, last quarter, Nike beat expectations as consumer demand remained strong and digital sales grew. Nike just announced its purchase of a virtual sneaker company, RTFK2, as the sports giant extends its presence in the metaverse and starts creating its own non-fungible tokens. On Thursday, the U.S. Census Bureau will report new home sales for the month of November. The estimate is for a sales to rise to a rate of 767,000 units after falling to 745,000 in October. That was short of estimates. Rising rates are going to pinch the housing market, and we may be starting to see those signs right now. We'll get personal spending and income data on Thursday, along with the PCE price index and durable goods orders for November. That's the personal consumption expenditures index, very key, reading on inflation. We'll also get a final reading on Q3 GDP and consumer sentiment for December. Remember, it came in at a 10-year low last month, and inflation isn't going anywhere. We've changed the way we spend, the way we save, the way we invest, the way we think about money. The pandemic accelerated a lot of these changes, but our lives were already sliding deeper into the digital universe over the past several years. We zap money over to one another through our phones. We buy fractions of stocks and cryptocurrencies with two taps. We invest through robo-advisors that use algorithms to build custom-made portfolios just for us. And many people can live and work where they want in an ever-evolving digital workforce. Finance, like a lot of industries, is becoming decentralized. Web3 and the age of ambient computing will push us further into the digital future, bifurcating our our lives into the physical 
and the digital. There's a reason Facebook wants to be called Meta and Square wants to be called Block. That's the future we'll be living in. No one studies that future more closely than Kristen Meyer. She's the new editor-in-chief at TheBalance.com, our sister site here at Dot Dash, and a terrific resource for all things money. Kristen doesn't just study this world. She lives in it, and she's our very special guest this week on The Express. Welcome, my friend. Hey, Caleb. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here. I've been following your career for a few years, so I know where you're coming from. But for folks out there who are meeting you for the first time, tell us how you got here and what made you want to be a business journalist. That's such an interesting question. Originally, I wanted to do international journalism, and I had done a little bit of focusing on humanitarian crises, and I kind of fell into business journalism. And I once told myself that this was not an area that I could ever really report on or even honestly understand. And I think that that's something that so many people feel that they have a lot of confusion about the markets. They don't know too much about finances, and they think, that's not for me. And they bury their heads in the sand a little bit. But I started reporting on business in Norway, of all places. Of course. Uh, report, as, you, as you do, you know, uh, as most people start out their careers. And it kind of just grew from there. And I realized, one, how much that you are capable of understanding. But two, frankly, how interested and passionate I am about talking about money and talking about finance. And I love talking to people that were in the same position I was in just several years ago. I love talking to folks that think, hey, I can never understand this. To really tell them you can and you will, you just need to get started. Absolutely. You and I come from very similar backgrounds in that respect. Not that I was ever in Norway, but I did a lot of human rights documentary filmmaking and environmental educational filmmaking. I'm an also an accidental business journalist, but the story of money is so fascinating. And I don't know about you, but I, I can't imagine having done anything else at this point in my career. I mean, money makes the world go round, Caleb. It's, it's honestly in everything we think about. It's in everything that we do and we touch. If you love politics... I mean, you need to know about money. If if you're interested in human rights issues, even you need to know about the money issues. I mean, follow the money and, and you will literally land on everything else. So I think it is endlessly fascinating. It is the thing that is the common thread almost in every single topic that you could possibly want to report about, talk about, read about. So love chatting about it. Amen to that. You and The Balance do some fascinating surveys on how Americans are spending and how we're saving, especially younger Americans. What are the patterns you've been seeing as you've been looking into this deeper and deeper, especially in the past year? Yeah, absolutely. So what we have seen is that at least for millennials and Gen Zers, so that's essentially anyone 40 and under, there really is this greater interest in investing, but also accumulating wealth. And, and the ways they do that are absolutely changing. It's, it's not the investment strategies of your, of your dad or of your grandparent. They're looking at things like Bitcoin. They're using Robinhood. They're looking at NFTs and even other alternative assets really to grow that wealth. But they're still feeling like there's a very strong need to have a nice cushion of savings. Remember, this is a generation of folks that grew up in financial crisis and financial turmoil. They saw their parents lose their jobs. They saw graduating into a market where there were no jobs available, where the salaries were incredibly low. So they like having those cash reserves on hand. And then there is that the prioritization of experiences and entertainment. I'm going to blame Instagram for that one, Caleb. You see everyone else having a good time going to the hottest bars or restaurants or cool shows. 
And that is something that is definitely important, I think, to the younger American. Living their best life, plus the fear of missing out. And things are at such extremes lately that it's not hard for anyone at any age to feel that way. You watch what happens with crypto or the meme stocks earlier this year. You feel like you're missing the boat on something. What about the level of trust, especially younger generations have with the financial services industry and the stock market? Is there this feeling like that game is rigged, but I got to play it anyway? Or do you feel like there's a growing sense of familiarity given the advances in technology? I would actually say it's it's a little bit of both. I think that this is a, a generation or a group of folks that have more resources, more knowledge available at their fingertips, literally on their cell phone than anyone else before. And so they are very willing and interested to get involved in the game. But I mean, you need to look no further than 2021 to see the diamond hands the meme stocks, the GameStop traders to know that there is a fundamental mistrust with the financial industry, with especially a lot of those big players, the hedge fund guys, the investment bankers. There is this desire really to be the underdog, to be the little man that is able to come out on top and either to snipe some of those earnings and some of that cash that's out there floating around, but also in some ways at least when it came to the the GameStop frenzy, to screw some of those big guys over. So I think that in its own way, both of those things are really playing out at the same time. There's a lot of unbanked people in this country. There's a lot of people that are completely divorced from this digital reality. We already know what the impacts are of a K-shaped recovery for this recovery since the pandemic, but also take it back to 2009. These are unequal recoveries. So you have this digital divide. I could Venmo you money right now or make a trade right now, but there are some people that just don't have the access. They're not banked. They're not financially literate. How are we going to solve for that as an industry? And what are the risks if we don't? You know, I think one of the biggest issues that we have, not just as journalists, but also as institutions themselves, is we really do like to think of people as monoliths, but they're not. For every thousand of folks that are using their cell phone to both send money through Venmo or Cash App or something like that, make trades, Robinhood, Fidelity, Schwab, they all have apps on their phone. There's a group of people that don't have a bank at all and their bank is under their mattress or hidden around their house. It's cash only. There's no banking happening at all. There's no credit card payments. There's no debit card usage. We're in a reality where both of those things are true at the same time. And I think we need to always be cognizant of that and remember that. But in order to reach them, I think we need to fully understand why they don't want to interact with financial services in the first place. Some of it is just frankly, because they don't trust financial services. They don't trust banks. We already know that there's a lot of minority populations that for good reason do not trust banking services. And it's because they were screwed by them for so long. And then there's the, a group of folks that don't use those services because they simply don't have access. They're in locations where a bank is not two minutes drive away. Going to an ATM is, is an ordeal. And that's where you see tech be able to really come in. Neobanks are on the rise. There's neobanks focused in on particular populations, Black-owned neobanks, neobanks helping folks get their paycheck earlier. I'm thinking of Chime when I think of that one. And so I do think that both tech and also social messaging really has has a role to play there. And I think that we also have a part in trying to reach out to and talk to some of those people where they're at and address the concerns that they have around the whole financial industry. Yeah. And we'll be leaning into that heavily in 2022, as will thebalance.com. So we are on this journey together, but you're right. We have to open 
the doors up to everybody because this is the path to ending poverty or trying to trying to solve for it, building wealth over time and helping folks build that generational wealth. Our listeners are familiar with the trapper who we had on recently or the guys at EYL. This is what they're trying to do as well. Well, you and I came up with a little game we like to play with our teams at Dot Dash Finance. We call it What's the Deal? You and I bring three topics each to the game and then we crossfire back and forth on whether it's a big deal, little deal, or no deal. So I want to play it here on the Express. Are you ready to play? Of course. I love this game. (laughs) This is our favorite game. All right, I'm going to go first. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is cracking down on buy now, pay later lenders. Remember, these are some of the hottest companies in the past few months, like Affirm, Afterpay, Klarna, PayPal has this too. These services let shoppers defer payments for items. It's layaway in the digital universe over a period of time. But the CFPB says it's concerned that consumers are going to rack up debt and not be able to pay back these loans over time and get into this cycle of debt that they can never get out of. Is this a big deal, little deal, or no deal that the CFPB is cracking down on this new industry? Definitely is a big deal, Caleb. And I think is, as you mentioned, some of the companies that are associated with BNPL, by now pay later, are some of the hottest companies. And it's because we see so many consumers starting to use them, especially considering the environment that we're in with the pandemic. A lot of folks don't have as much money to spend or frankly, inflation and the rising cost of essentially everything, making everything far more expensive, we are seeing people turn to essentially, as you mentioned, online layaway, digital layaway. So I think for the CFPB to potentially crack down or or change buy now, pay later, as we know, it could be a big deal going forward, especially as so many companies and online payment processors are turning to buy now, pay later to generate revenue. So this could have, could, depending on what they find and what they decide to do with the information, that could definitely have a big impact to consumers and also to the companies that provide the service. I agree with you there. Big deal, big deal for the people that use the service, big deal for the companies that provide the service. And it's some of the companies we mentioned, but also some of the biggest retailers already own their own BNPL services as well. So it's going to affect those companies. It's going to affect probably their stock prices, but I think it's going to affect the ecosystem. And where were they? The the horses left the barn on this one, as far as I'm concerned. Your turn. All right. Yeah. I'm going to throw one at you, which is that some of the, the world's biggest billionaires lately have been selling off a lot of their holdings Zuck, Mark Zuckerberg sold Meta every weekday of the year. Is this a big deal, little deal, or no deal? What could it potentially mean that a lot of these billionaires are really shedding some of their holdings? Yeah, you're right. Zuckerberg, Bezos, Musk selling tens of billions of dollars of their own stock as we head into the end of the year. Now, you might just say, hey, tax planning. You know, these guys made a lot of money and they have made fortunes. These are the richest people in the world over the last decade or two decades. So big deal that they're selling now that the market's a little choppy. It seems like a bigger deal. I'm going to go I'm going to go with big deal because it's not that they're selling because of lack of confidence, I think, in their companies. These are some of the most confident people in the world that have accumulated fortunes that we can aim and dream of. But the fact that they are selling now to put their money into things like going into space, things like building their other companies up, building the moats around the companies that they already have, that's a big deal. These are the people that are moving moving markets and industries uh, one way, whether we like it or not. I think it's kind of a big deal that they're cashing out. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think it also is is emblematic of what we saw happen a lot this year, which is these guys made a ton of money throughout the pandemic. They saw their holdings absolutely skyrocket just this year alone. Uncle Sam, of course, wants his cut. One of the best ways to avoid that 
shed some of those stocks. So definitely think it is a big deal. Yeah. And when Elon Musk is asking his Twitter fans whether he should be selling his stock to avoid those taxes, going to the the Twitterverse for that advice, not that I really think he's asking their advice. It's kind of funny. He's poking his finger right in the IRS's eye like he likes to do. So classic must there, but the billionaires are cashing out. All right. We know, Kristen, that we can expect about three interest rate hikes in 2022 and a couple more in 2023. Investors, especially younger investors, all they know is low rate environments, right? We've been in this low rate environment since the crisis. Yeah, rates went up to like 2% to 9%, but we're going to start to see this drumbeat of higher interest rates over time. New environment for investors, new environment for younger investors. Big deal, little deal, or no deal? Oh, this is a good one. I'm going to say big deal. Just markets do not like this kind of news. And and we're going to see, I think, millennial and younger investors start to get beat up a little bit as some of those investors that are a little bit older start to make moves according to an interest rate environment that they actually know very well. So shedding some of those tech stocks that millennials absolutely love and have piled into and going more into some of those consumer staples. I mean, younger investors are going to have to start asking themselves questions like around reallocation of portfolios and diversifying and trying to come up with the barbell strategy between their, their growth stocks and those staple stocks and, and looking at rotations in the market. I don't think this is something that they are used to or have thought about terribly much throughout the last year and a half, let's say. They're going to need to going forward. And, and not to mention millennials, as I mentioned, are waiting longer and longer to buy a house. It's going to suck when they try to go get that mortgage. And, and those interest rates are a lot higher than they're used to seeing. Yeah, that, they're going to feel it there first because mortgage rates are going to rise. We're going to, they're going to feel it in any kind of payments they're going to buy. But I, I agree in the investing world, this is a new environment. And when you have to start thinking about diversification across sectors that are impacted by inflation and higher interest rates, it's a more complicated game. But I think it's good. It's good educational opportunity for them. I, I think it's a big deal, but I'm going to go medium big deal because there is so much money in the stock market, Kristen Myers. There are so many 401k millionaires now, and there's a trillion dollars that just went into ETFs this year. It's just this flood of liquidity. And it's just made the stock market so heavy that it's very hard to get out once you're in or move around once you're in, If you're, unless you're a very sort of savvy investor that, that knows what you're doing. That was fun. We're going to keep playing that game. So stay tuned for more of What's the Deal with Kristen Myers and me. Hey, Kristen, we ask all of our guests on this podcast for their favorite investing or finance term. We want to know yours. You're the editor-in-chief of The Balance. What's your favorite? What's the one that just rings true to you and makes you smile? <laughs> I don't know if it rings true to me or makes me smile, but it's something that is very recent and it's more of a, a phrase that's been happening lately, which is inflation is transitory, transitory being the, the term right now that I like to think about. It makes me smile because it's so ridiculous. Inflation is not transitory. It's been sticking around so long, so much so that the Fed actually decided they needed to ditch the term. I don't think I ever hear often the Fed saying that they are not going to start using a term. Fed watchers know when it comes to the Federal Reserve, you really have to pay attention to those details, minute changes in language. And I just absolutely loved that one recently. We might have to strike transitory from the Investopedia term dictionary as well, since they're no longer using it. Good one. Where are you driving the balance.com in 2022? What can we expect to see from you and that great website? Absolutely. So we will be focusing even more on all the topics that matter to you know, younger investors and, and younger folks that are spending and saving their money. So think about talking about student loan debt. 
you know, that we know that's ending right at the start of the new year. And then we're also going to be taking a, a huge eye on some of those communities that have long been ignored, some underserved and disadvantaged communities, making sure that we can help them do things like buy a home, talking about women and money. So definitely a lot more to come. We're going to be coming right to you guys and talking about the things that really matter. So that's definitely upcoming in 2022. I am so looking forward to it. And I'm so glad you are at The Balance. It's so good to have you here and so good to have you on The Express. Folks, check out thebalance.com, one of my favorite websites. Also follow Kristen at Kristen Reports on Twitter. You're on Instagram too. You got a newsletter that's coming out soon. You're all over the social medias at thebalance.com. And Kristen Myers, thank you so much for writing on The Express this week. Thanks so much for having me, Caleb. It's terminology time, time for us to get smart with the investing term we need to know this week. This week's term comes to us from Queen in Washington, D.C. Queen suggests buybacks this week, and we'd love that term given the record amount of stock buybacks we've seen in 2021. According to Investopedia, a buyback, also known as a share repurchase, is when a company buys its own outstanding shares to reduce the number of shares available on the open market. Why would a company do this? For a number of reasons. Sometimes to increase the value of the remaining shares available by reducing the supply, or sometimes to increase or inflate the company's earnings per share on paper, or to express confidence to other shareholders that they think the stock is cheap, or because the company has no better use of its cash. According to S&P Global Indices, in the first nine months of the year, share buybacks totaled $608.9 billion, far higher than the full year total of $519 billion in 2020. The record total of $806 billion was set in 2018, but that is likely to fall this year. A lot of folks out there believe share buybacks have been a big part of all these market records we've seen lately. Good suggestion, Queen. A pair of the warm and buttersoft Investopedia socks is on the way to you for a stocking stuffer. Wear those on your next stroll around the mall. Hey, we have a special bonus edition term of the week this week. We've got Investopedia's top terms of the year hot off the presses, and what a year it has been for investors and traders. Our incredible data sciences team here at Investopedia, run by the terrific Amanda Morelli with the mega-talented Adrian Nesta, pulled together the list of terms on our site that experienced the biggest increases in traffic when they increased, and for how long, to determine which of our investing and finance terms held the most interest among our millions of monthly readers throughout the year. It's always fascinating, and this year didn't disappoint. Ladies and gentlemen, here's tonight's top 10 list. Let's go. Oh, the great David Letterman. We'll take a page out of his book as I read out the top 10 terms for 2021. Drum roll, please. Number 10, conservatorship. Oops. She did it again. That came from Britney Spears in her trial against her father to retain control of her estate. Number nine, short interest. You remember those meme stocks and that mania back in the spring of 2021? That made short interest the number nine term of the year. NFTs, non-fungible tokens, lazy apes and pudgy penguins, anyone? We've talked a lot about those on The Express. Dogecoin came in at number seven. Thank you, Elon Musk and Mark Cuban. That had a 2,800% rise in 2021. ESG came in at number six, always a popular term on our site all year long, and still a lot of people don't really understand it. Hey, tune in to The Green Investor to learn more about it. Number five was the child care tax credit. 35 million families are affected by this, affecting some 65 million kids, and the future of that tax credit is certainly in doubt right now. Number four, HODL, of course. 
Thank Meme Stocks or Crypto for that one. And your diamond hands are still hanging on. Hodel, holding on for dear life, coming in at number four. Number three, and this was the reader's pick and also one of the most popular all year, inflation, of course, especially in the back half of the year. Our reader's pick and the number one worry for all our readers on our latest investor sentiment survey is inflation. It's number three for the year. Number two, fiat money, a big topic this year. And this was the year that crypto really broke through. What is legal tender and why is cryptocurrency different than legal tender or fiat money? Thank you to El Salvador for making this term so popular. And the number one term of the year this year, capital gains tax. Yes, the drumbeat for higher taxes has been beating all year, though we might not see it here in the U.S., but a lot of people also made a lot of money trading and investing this year, and they know they have to pay taxes on that if they sold. So capital gains tax, the Investopedia number one term of the year for 2021. We're going to pull this train into the station for the holidays and take next week off. But don't forget to check out our new podcast, The Green Investor, powered by Investopedia. We'll have a new episode out this week, and you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. But also check out the Green Investor page on Investopedia. As we approach the holiday season, I'd like to say that I'm grateful for all of you for tuning in, writing in, sharing, and learning with us here on The Express and at Investopedia. We never take for granted how lucky we are to have so many smart and engaged readers and listeners, and we never will. Stay safe, stay healthy, give where you can this holiday season, and be good to yourselves. We'll talk again a little further on down the line.